Welcome to Pop Cultured. I'm Bridget Armstrong, and this is not a drill. Beyonce is back. Last night, Beyonce dropped the song of the summer, Break My Soul. It's a dance track with house music vibes that samples bounce artist Big Frida and Robin S.'s house track, Show Me Love. Now, this is the first single from Beyonce's upcoming album, Renaissance, which drops next month. A few days ago, Drake dropped an album, too. And it also borrows a lot from house music. But I have to say, Beyonce's one single blows Drake's entire album out of the water. And since Beyonce's single and Drake's album have similar vibes, people are wondering if Drake got a heads up to go ahead and drop his album to save himself some embarrassment. Okay, I'm being too harsh on Drake. He and Beyonce are trying to get us back on the dance floor. And I, for one, appreciate that. Summer is back. People are outside, they're dancing again, music festivals are somehow back and better than ever. Let's just hope this doesn't become the most fun summer to get COVID. All Pride Month long, we've been talking about representation. Representation on television, representation in music, and today, throughout all pop culture. And it's something we like to do on this show. Look at TV and movies to see how we've evolved and where we still need to go. And usually, for whatever group or community we're talking about, the story follows a certain format. Said people are ignored, and then when they do get a little representation, it's usually a misrepresentation. Then the group moves into the token phase, something we still kind of see today, until we finally reach a moment, usually within the last five to 10 years, where things got better. Sometimes the journey is not as linear, but those are the usual phases. And you can see that pattern when it comes to queer representation in pop culture, too. Now, it's really common for a show or movie to have a queer character or characters at the center of the story. There are, of course, people who still get mad about it. There's a backlash right now against the Lightyear movie because of a split-second kiss between a lesbian couple. But for the most part, it's not out of the ordinary to see a fully realized queer character on screen. But it can be easy to forget how different things were not that long ago. Do you ever wonder why people dislike you so much? It's because you are sly and oily and smug. And I'm really pleased I got the chance to tell you before I go. Well, if we're playing the truth game, then you're a manipulative little witch. And if your schemes have come to nothing, I'm delighted. While representation is good, if it's like with Downton Abbey, the only gay person is a villain who's trying to ruin everybody's life. Like, I don't know how great that is. Blair Imani is an educator. You may have seen some of her videos on Instagram. She's also an author who writes about race, class, and gender. You'll hear more from her a little later. But the point she's making, it's true if you think about it. I mean, Will and Grace and Modern Family were groundbreaking shows because they didn't do that and because they simply had more than one cis white gay man on the show. And that was an improvement over a time when gay characters were just bit parts, the butt of the joke, or ignore it completely. We called up some old friends of the podcast and a few new ones to talk about how they've seen things change when it comes to queer representation on the screen and on the page. Hi, I am Torian Miller. I am a actor writer. Most recently, you might have seen Torian in the new Hulu movie, Fire Island. This week is sacred. We're going to Fire Island. And this is why straight people hate us. And also, heteronormativity, Judeo-Christian pathology, anal. 
Fire Island is a queer romantic comedy about a group of chosen family that embark on a yearly trip to Fire Island, which is like a gay uh, and queer destination. And this group of friends, they go every single year and they stay at the matriarch of their friend group, Margaret Cho's character. They stay at her house every year. But this year might end up being different because she tells the group that she's broke and she's going to have to sell the house that they stay at every year. So the story follows what might be this friend group's last summer on Fire Island in the capacity that they're used to staying in. Torian plays Max, who's sort of the responsible one of the group. I feel that he's part of the heart of the group. He's definitely not as wild, not as boisterous as some of the friend group. And he's pretty anal about things, very uh, book smart as well. But he definitely knows how to get down. He definitely knows how to enjoy himself. And I think all friend groups, they need, you know, that Max character to like keep them in line, make sure everyone is staying hydrated while they go out and stuff like that. Definitely is like 30 going on 60. I'm not doing drugs tonight. I don't want to take that. I'm going to take my first. None of you are going to pressure me? Well, you don't do drugs. That's not news. Yeah, babe, we love you. Your family does. But we no longer believe we can make you fun. (laughs) Fire Island's gotten a lot of attention, partially because of a badly worded tweet about the Bechdel test, but also because it's a really fun movie. And there isn't really anything like it, especially something that centers queer men of color. There was a show called Noah's Ark that used to be back in the day that featured queer men of color. But really, that was kind of the only thing. And then we were sparsely used in TV shows. And a lot of those times, those characters are not fully developed. They're normally either a stereotype or a character of what uh, a queer person is. So really, it feels like Fire Island is kind of in unicorn territory. You know what I mean? Um, Which is exciting. And hopefully, this opens the door for many more queer stories to be told and have a budget put behind them. Torian says that growing up, he didn't see a lot of queer characters that he could relate to. So he found other stories to embrace. There were a lot of Black women in particular in media that I really related to. I think Khadija on Living Single was a big one for me. Um, So was Maxine. It's a beautiful day. Put that stuff aside. Let's go for a run. Please, look at these bills. I can't. Thank God I hate running. I grew up in a family mainly of, like, Black, strong women. And so for me, watching them and watching them on, like, TV and, like, Moesha, especially, like, Monique as well, I have to give props to her. Just from a body diversity standpoint, they were the ones who shaped me to find my own confidence. But it is a little sad that I can't just right off the bat recall like a queer character that I necessarily resonated with. But thankfully, times have changed. And although things aren't where they should be, there are more queer characters and actors and entertainers in pop culture. I obviously have to give credit to Pose. I think Pose is absolutely incredible. And like just opening up the conversation of like the gay liberation movement and really to the the founding folks who really busted the door open for us, I think is so important. And like Billy Porter, MJ Rodriguez, I think are incredible. RuPaul's Drag Race. I love Drag Race. And I think to see queer people and especially queer people of color celebrated and winning Emmys and on a major platform and and it connecting to not just queer people but I have 
straight male friends who love RuPaul's Drag Race and are like interested in that, you know, showing how universal our community is, I think is like absolutely incredible. And then obviously Queer as Folk that just came out as well. Queer as Folk is a show that came out in the late 90s and early 2000s. It had a UK version as well as a US version. And now it's back with a very 2020s era reboot. I've been in Baltimore for med school. Well, actually I dropped out. Hot, smart, and afraid of commitment. It's also opening up a lot of doors and a lot of conversations. That being said, even with Fire Island and all the things I said, we still need more. It's 2022. It's not revolutionary to just have one queer TV show and one queer movie. We should be allowed to have all the movies and all the TV shows be told. And more importantly, there's a pressure on stories of marginalized communities that get greenlit to be perfect, to really be absolutely exceptional. And I don't think that's fair. I get to see folks who are not a part of those communities get a $100 million budget and be able to fail. And then their next project gets $200 million put behind it. So we should also be allowed to create our stories and not be perfect and still be able to create more stories as well. What type of roles do you want to play? Back in the day, especially when I first started, I was getting a lot of stereotypical stuff. Gangbanger, shooting victim number one. And I luckily very early on let my reps know that's something that I don't resonate with. I do not want um, my entryway into this industry to be playing a stereotype or something that downgrades being queer or being black. And that conversation was very important because my reps, they heard me and they listened. And so that kind of guided me into the roles that I want to play, which is I want to play so many different things. I want to be able to be a romantic lead. You know, I think for the big boys, I want to see like them being loved on, you know what I mean? I also want to see more black and queer folks in the sci-fi world. I love what Jordan Peele is doing and it's very exciting, but he shouldn't be the only one (laughs) making these types of movies. I love horror movies, you know what I mean? I want more genre-based roles. I also would love to do like a period piece. Give me a Bridgerton, give me the great. And hopefully, you know, by me taking up that space or someone that looks like me, queer, big, femme, hopefully that again, just opens more doors for other people. My name is Blair Amani. I am known for creating a series called Smarter in Seconds and just being kind of a very colorful educator on the internet, which is pretty cool. Blair Imani is an activist and author. She's also a pretty big deal on Instagram. And you could say that TV played a big role in her public identity. She actually kind of inadvertently came out on live TV, on Fox News of all places. I accidentally came out on Tucker Carlson tonight. Uh, I don't recommend coming out on Fox News or like national television in general. Just a little piece of advice. (laughs) This was back in 2017. And at the time, there was a push for safe spaces for Muslim kids in Australia. Blair was making a name for herself as an author and cultural commentator. And she was invited on Tucker Carlson tonight to sort of be the Muslim representation in the conversation. I was basically like, hey, you believe in free speech. Like, how do we protect free speech? How do we create safe spaces where people can just talk about stuff without feeling like they're going to be canceled or like they're going to be put in jail? Like, just difficult things. And I think those spaces are really necessary. I was talking about how gay people need safe spaces, LGBTQ plus folks, and how Black people need safe spaces. 
There are other communities that need safe spaces, which so, includes so the LGBTQ community, okay, the black so we, community. Okay. There needs to be spaces where people I, are I'm free not sure you're from not being harassed. On their behalf too. I was so taken aback that he like interrupted me to say that like I wasn't allowed to speak about my lived experience. That I was like, well, actually, well, I don't speak for all Muslims, and I actually am a, a black queer woman in, in addition to being a Muslim. And then the next day, one of the headlines was, "This gay Muslim wants your tax money to pay for safe spaces." But trial by fire, you know, I came out of it. I sold that book. I was able to get another gig, start doing public speaking and stuff. One of the speeches I gave was, um, she's Tucker Carlson's worst nightmare. And I was like, awesome. You know what? Like, let me turn my pain into some coins because it's expensive out here. <laughs> so one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you is because you wrote a really popular post for GLAAD about seeing yourself and seeing queer Muslim representation on the show, The Bold Type. Could you tell me a little bit about that character and why the character resonated with you particularly? Yes, the character Adina. A woman should look like. People tend to get uncomfortable when they cannot put you in a box. So. But I always like to make people uncomfortable. <laughs> You're very good at it. I think that that was like right when I had first come out. I came out in 2017. I mean, I think coming out is interesting because you generally know who you are and it's just a matter of like other people finding out. And once you articulate it for folks, especially when you're part of a religious community and you're also queer, like there's so much hype around, oh, that's not real. You can't be those things together as if those folks are God themselves, which thank goodness they aren't. And I think that seeing the bold type and seeing this representation, like Part of Adina's character was, you know, I have like proud Muslim lesbian in my Twitter bio. And at that time I was very, very, very much on Twitter. So I felt, I felt very seen and I was able to make friends with Nicole Boucheri, who is the portrayer of Adina. And so it's been really cool. And I think that it's just really necessary to be able to see yourself on TV. As Blair thinks about her own experiences and characters like Adina, who are intersectional and living these complicated lives, she can't help but to think about the queer characters she saw growing up who are very different. It was almost always negative. I think of two things. I think of Will and Grace, right? I'm not like a catty, sassy, gay white man. So I was like, well, how can I be queer? Um, and then Marco from Degrassi, the next generation, the one that Drake was in. And it was not necessarily positive. It was like him constantly having a crisis because somebody was going to out him or his you know, family didn't accept him. And that was not my reality, thank God. I'm chair of the committee this year. I'm not gonna have time for a date. Marco, all these beautiful girls over here and not one you like. And remember, this wasn't that long ago. In the early 2000s, this is what passed for representation. It was like, yay, we have one gay character, but that character is also kind of a mess. With Marco from Degrassi, because of that show, I had it in my head that if I didn't come out to my parents, I was actively lying to them and deceiving them which is so harmful. And I'm doing, um, I did a lesson on coming out and I'm doing another one soon just to debunk these myths because like for kids to think that I'm doing something harmful to my parents by not challenging an expectation they had of me, that expectation being that I'm cisgender and that I'm straight, that's not on you. That's on society. And it also makes gay people seem like we're deceptive and that we're hiding. I mean, I don't know if you remember with Oprah, that whole discussion around men being on the DL. I remember the DL panic of the early 2000s. Oprah did an episode about men who slept with other men who didn't necessarily identify as gay or bisexual or were in relationships with women. Listen to these three men who speak out about their double lives 
on the down low. Now, two of them asked us to remain anonymous, and I can see why. Having a main girl, two other girls on the side, and three guys makes for a lot of sex in the course of a month. The women I sleep with have not always known that um, I also slept with men. I haven't told them because it's a lot easier just not to tell. That was so harmful to queer men and to bisexual men, uh, especially of color. And so there's a lot of things that are entrenched in people's psyches. And as a young person, I think that I came out before I even knew what that meant for me because I was afraid not to. Um, and so people think like, you know, representation doesn't matter. But like every time you're watching TV, you're seeing man and woman, man and woman, man and woman. And you're in your heart being like, well, I don't know about that. Or you're seeing like, hey, little girls grow up into women, little boys grow up into men. And if you're a trans person who's been taught to misgender themselves their whole lives, like maybe your journey to adulthood looks different. And so when we don't see that, then we start with the myths of like, oh my gosh, I'm doing something wrong. Oh my goodness, I'm bad. And then we might even have people in our lives who are telling us that. I don't know, that's definitely what affected my life a lot. But I think a lot of it was also seeing like white gay men and being like, where are the queer women? Where are the black queer people? Like there's so much more representation now, which is so beautiful. Like just like abundances of it. I was just in a documentary series that's very fun called The Book of Queer, which was created by Eric Cervini. It's on Discovery Plus, you can stream it now. But like to see folks talking about how Josephine Baker and Ma Rainey were queer women and like what that meant for them in their time and their context, but yeah, you know, like so many people are coming out. It's just a really beautiful time to be alive and to be queer and to know that you're valid. What, if any, characters, what queer characters do you remember seeing growing up? Um, I saw them. I didn't relate to them. Derek L. Cottingham is a culture and entertainment journalist. It's more recent that I relate to more queer characters on screen because I see more Black queer characters. Currently, I'm watching Tom Swift. It's a new sci-fi spinoff of the CW's iteration of Nancy Drew. And it's based on the old Tom Swift kids' books. I don't understand what happened. I, I don't think Barclay messed up, but I did build them when I was eight. I'm running a defrag in a source called analysis, just in case. Oh, could you translate that out of nerd? Okay. The whole premise is just a billionaire, young Black man that is the son of this high-expectation, rich dad of this, like, billionaire tech company. And something happens to the dad, and he is now on this, like, mystery hunt to figure out what happened to the dad. There are three Black co-stars, and the show's lead is making history. Tion Richards is the first Black gay male lead of a network primetime-like TV show. And then Ashley Murray, she portrays his best friend on the show, who like kind of gets him together. And then his bodyguard is the other lead in the show. And the bodyguard is trans and also pansexual. And there's this tension and love triangle between the best friend and the main character and the bodyguard. LeVar Burton is also in the show voicing this like AI companion of the main character. If you're a nerd, if you're a blurred, and you're also queer, this is like the show for you. Derek says he's seeing a lot of characters he identifies with on The CW. 
I'm such a CW apologist. Like, I watch a lot of shows on their network. Because at the end of the day, the CW is like a, a great value HBO. Another show he's watching is All American Homecoming. It's a spinoff of the show All American. It follows Simone Hicks going to an HBCU. And she has two queer friends that are BFFs. One is a girl that's bisexual. The other is Nate. And Nate is non-binary, like me. And has such a good storyline in the show, too. Like, they tackle the very authentic feeling of being queer at an HBCU. And, like, in these spaces, racism is definitely cranked down a lot versus if you're at a PWI. But very true to my own experience at my own HBCU, I experienced a lot of like homophobia and queerphobia on the campus. And Nate does as well. So seeing this queer representation on the campus of a HBCU on TV happening right now, they get everything very accurately right about the experience. And there's one show with the character that Derek and I both love. Uncle Clifford, oh my God. I didn't already let you work a week without getting paperwork started, but I'm gonna need to see ID now. I prefer to be paid on the table like my day. Bitch, do I look like Wesley Snipes to you? P-Valley is a show on stars about a strip club in Mississippi. There are secret relationships, fights, murder plots, and a whole lot of ass shaking. And at the center of it all is the fabulous ringleader, house mother, club manager, Uncle Clifford. She, that's my girl. Um, P-Valley really helped me just seeing the way that Uncle Clifford would just be themselves and be like this boss running the club with all these billion different rules, rocking the wigs, rocking the body suits, the boots, the heels. It made me a little bit more comfortable in my own process of like figuring myself out and what being non-binary meant for me and kind of not being so gender conforming with the way that I presented myself when I would show up in public and out early to the world. And Derek is seeing some signs of progress even on some long-running shows. I've been re-watching The Simpsons recently. Just seeing that depiction of Smithers you can see the progression that happened over Hollywood as like being open and out was more acceptable and not as taboo in entertainment. Like in the older episodes, it's hinted at that Smithers is like, you know, bent wrist. Mm-hmm. Now it's explicitly like stated. Like there's episodes with Smithers having a boyfriend outside of like him lusting over Mr. Burns and stuff. And it shows him within this queer dynamic. and. I'm just like, that shows like this development that happens of society that allows us to see depictions like that on screen. And Derek says we need more stories with happy non-binary and trans people. And that's especially true when it comes to Black and brown people. I remember speaking to someone about Euphoria and love Jules, love, love, love Jules down. But the way we see how Jules kind of just gets to exist a lot and have these stories and just do and live this teenage life. It's rare to see that for someone that is trans, but is also black or a person of color. And it's just kind of like, 
yay, I'm happy that story exists. But when it's the opportunity going to come for someone else that is a person of color or Black, and I think so much of media gets trapped into the trauma and the hardships of it all. But I also want us to be like prideful and joyous of who we are. And one bright spot that Derek sees is in an upcoming Amazon Prime movie, Anything's Possible. Billy Porter from Pose is directing the movie, and it's about a trans teen navigating the dating scene during their senior year of high school. It was really sweet to kind of see like a POC, like trans person be just loved and kind of get to have that high school crush. I came out at 17, my junior year of high school. So I did kind of get to experience a little bit of actually going after a crush on a guy while most kids don't get to do that. Like the first queer experience you might have is in your 20s, like out queer experience or like first ever actual relationship or something will be in your 20s or in your 30s, like once you're out. And so it's good to see that. And sometimes people find representation in unexpected places. Brianna Lawrence is the fandom editor at the Mary Sue, and she found herself identifying more with queer characters in anime, you know, Japanese animated series, and manga, Japanese graphic novels. So many of these stories and manga and anime with young characters are like hitting me really hard lately because it's the stories that I wanted when I was questioning things. Currently, she's working on the types of stories she wished she had as a Black queer girl growing up. She's writing her own take on the magical girl genre with her book series, Magnifique Noir. It's about a team of Black queer college-age girls from all different parts of the queer spectrum who fight monsters and save the world. But way before Brianna started telling her own stories, Sailor Moon was her first introduction to queer characters in anime. There's a lot of queer story elements in the show that got edited out when it came over to the U.S. The two Sailor Scouts that I really liked were like Uranus and Neptune. They showed up in a later season and they're very like older and more knowledgeable and wiser than the, the team. You ready to get to work? Yeah. Let's do this, Michiru. Here we go, Haruka. And you find out that they're actually together. They're lovers. They're in love and they're dating and they're together. And that was like the first time I realized that, wow, the media I watch can have queer stuff in it because it had been edited out in the same way like Hardcatcher Sakura. You find out her older brother's gay and he's got a boyfriend. And there's all these characters who were gay the whole time that I didn't know about until later. And so that kind of brought me down a like rabbit hole of, well, who else in my media is queer? And then also it was a type of story where like the characters are queer and it's not tragic. It's like they're together and it's not a big deal. For Brianna, it's important to have stories where queer characters just get to exist and be themselves without the plot always having to be about rejection or struggling with sexuality. And she's noticing more examples of that within the genre. There's a recent one that I watched called Satsuki and Miyano, and it's about two boys who bond over reading queer manga. And then while they're reading the manga, they fall in love with each other. But like the main plot is them trying to figure out what love even is. Like, what does it mean to even like a person? And 
it's not even about the fact that they like another boy. It's about the fact that I don't know what love is. How do you tell that you like a person? Like, I remember getting like crushes on girls. And that's what my thought process was. It wasn't like, oh my God, I'm gay. When I met my wife in 2001, I did have like that brief moment of gay panic. But also I was like, okay, I like this person. How do I approach the person I like? A lot of queer anime lately have been about that. They'll talk about the LGBT stuff, but also the common things like, oh, I like a person. Another one that hit home for Brianna, Bloom Into You. It's about girls. And I watched the first episode and I had this moment where I had to like stop watching because I just, it, I felt it really hard because the main girl is like, I want to feel that like heart pounding romance. And what everybody says is when you're a girl, you feel that with a boy. So she finally gets the love confession from a boy and she's like, I don't feel that heart pounding romance that they told me about. Is there something wrong with me? Like, am I doing this wrong? Maybe if I just start dating him, it'll come eventually. And I remember feeling like that in high school. Everybody was like really invested in girls dating boys and like, where's your boyfriend? And this girl in the anime, she just looks at this boy and she's like, I'm not feeling the thing that they told me I'm supposed to feel. And she meets a girl and it's like, oh, you don't like boys, which is fine. But nobody tells you that. When I was growing up, nobody was like, maybe she just doesn't like boys. And the one time someone brought up, everybody had a negative reaction. I was with my family and one of my aunts jokingly said, maybe she likes girls. And like my family freaked out. They're like, no, there's no way. She can't like girls. She's not gay. And I was like, yeah, that can't be it. Ha ha. And then two years later, it turns out, surprise, I, I like girls and boys, but I ended up falling for a girl. But there was nothing back then that gave me that, like, it's okay if you don't like boys. Nobody ever said that, like, it's okay if you just don't like anybody. Brianna's seeing a lot more of the content she wished she had when she was growing up. And there are a few manga stories she hopes are made into anime shows. One more example that I really appreciate lately, that one's called My Brother's Husband. My Brother's Husband is about a guy whose brother dies and he has to meet his brother's husband. His brother's husband lives in Canada and the guy lives in Japan. And it's a lot of moments where, like, this guy doesn't realize how homophobic he is. He doesn't mean to be, but he has, like, these assumptions about his brother's husband. And then the whole book is him basically educating himself about the queer community so he has a better viewpoint. And it's nice because his brother's husband never has to be the one to tell him. He figures it out. He has other people telling him. It's never up to the gay character to, like, educate him. He, like, educates himself. And then he kind of realizes that the way he accepted his brother was this lax acceptance. It was one of those, like, oh, yeah, you're gay, whatever. Like, it wasn't like, I'm supportive. It's just like, oh, yeah, we don't have to talk about it. Which is what hit me because that's what my wife's parents did when we told them about us. They're like, oh, that's fine, but we never had to talk about it. And so people don't realize how hurtful that actually is because... It's not like I want you to come to Pride with me, but I want to be able to have a family dinner and sit next to my wife and not be stressed out. Or just like you acknowledge that like, oh yeah, that's my daughter and her wife. That's all we ever wanted. 
And so that's what this manga does. All of our guests talked about growing up and looking for representation in pop culture and not finding it. And everyone we talked to is fairly young. A lot of times we can get caught up in talking about what's wrong. And of course, there's still a lot of progress to be made. But it's just a reminder of how much things have changed in such a short period of time. And recently, Brianna had a moment that showed her it may not be as difficult for the next generation to see themselves on the screen or on the page. My favorite moment that I had recently is a personal one. My nephew just had a baby and the baby is 10 months now. And they were showing me like the baby books they got and they're getting him queer baby books. And I'm like, wow, you're getting him like queer baby books. They're like, well, yeah, he needs to know that queer people are out there. These are the conversations that I think should be going on. And the conversations I wish I had because as a black queer person, We have the Black conversations, but we didn't have many of the queer conversations. It struck me that, like, younger generations are already, like, talking to their children about stuff like this. That's it for us today. I'm Bridget Armstrong, host and senior producer of the show. And I work with the best team in the business to make it every week. Our show's producer is Alicia Key. Andrew Calloway is our senior engineer, and this episode was engineered by Ellie McAfee-Han and Ko Takasugi Chernovin. We had production help from Blake Lou Merwin, and the Skim senior director of audio is Graylin Brashear. Big thanks to Torian Miller, Blair Imani, Derek Cottingham, and Brianna Lawrence for all talking to me. We'll have links to their work on the website. We'll be back next week with a new episode, and in the meantime, be sure to rate, subscribe, and tell a friend. 